Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This podcast is for everyone seeking the details, context, and facts behind the banner headlines on immigration. It's the podcast that gives you the latest on immigration policy and politics and the real world impacts on the people and businesses that make our world turn. If you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by the nerds at Erickson Immigration Group, guiding clients and their employees through the complex immigration system for over 20 years. Hello, immigration nerds. I'm Lauren Clark, senior attorney at Erickson Immigration Group. I am a fellow nerd, an immigrant, and host of this amazing podcast. On every episode, we're joined by the smartest nerds in the know as we cover trends in business, culture, technology, and politics at the intersection of global immigration. Today, we are speaking with a prominent immigration reporter from Bloomberg Law about green card backlogs and the more than seven and a half million individuals awaiting lawful permanent residency in the United States. The fate of those individuals has garnered significant new attention after a recently published report claimed that the U.S. is missing out on a staggering $3.9 trillion in GDP growth over a decade due to the backlogs. So is the golden ticket to strengthening the U.S. economy actually a green card? And what about the human cost associated with the green card backlogs? Coming up in a few minutes, we're nerding out with Andrew Craybon, immigration reporter at Bloomberg Law. But first, a roundup of the other immigration news that we need to be aware of. And joining me to help out is our producer, Adam Belma. There is some important stuff going on right now, Adam. Unbelievably important, Lauren. It's really exciting. Uh, I love the fact that we've got a journalist on the show today whose work we both follow. But in every element of technology, there is so much news and there's a nexus to immigration, especially this new executive order coming from the Biden administration on artificial intelligence. I, I think you've really read into this. What should we know about what's going on and what's in there, Lauren? Well, in addition to establishing new standards for AI safety and security, protecting Americans' privacy and promoting consumers' and workers' rights and innovation, it also includes language related to immigration and visa streamlining. So at its core, the provisions in relation to immigration is about attracting AI talent to the United States. Generally, the executive order is providing time-specific guidelines for departments and agencies to review existing policies or make recommendations for updates. So as it currently stands, there is no immediate impact, but the implementation of this executive order will be ongoing. And as departments and agencies work collaboratively within the federal government and with the private sector to push forward the guidelines coming out of the executive order on artificial intelligence. So if you're an immigration nerd listening to this podcast, you know how critical talent is in everything that goes on in business. And this is such a priority from the national perspective that, of course, you couldn't do something on AI without setting standards and qualifying the need and processes for bringing in the best and the brightest. And that's really what this is about, Lauren. Definitely. And something to stay tuned on. As we said, there are certain timeframes for things to be implemented and recommended. So a lot more for us to report on in the future. 
So another thing that's really loomed over 2023 with great speculation and anticipation, Lauren, has been this idea that we may yet see some sort of stateside domestic renewal on H-1B visas. And a lot of this has been cloudy. And there's been reporting recently about movement. What's real? What's not? What's the actual verified, certified, news nerd worthy elements of stateside domestic renewal right now? So as it currently stands, the stateside domestic renewal isn't in effect. So it is currently in the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs for its review. And this is kind of the last step before new regulations are publicly released. So unfortunately, there is not a lot for us to touch upon today. However, again, in the stay tuned motto is once it is publicly released, we should know the full details of what the program will include, timeframes for its implementation, and what next steps can happen for those individuals who are looking to obtain a visa stamp from within the United States. Yeah, those details are going to be critically important to everybody. And of course, our nerds know that domestic renewal was something that existed previously. It, it was discontinued 20 years ago. There's high hopes that there's a way to do it safely, to accommodate everybody and make this productive. But it would be wrong to speculate that we know what's really in it or when it will come to fruition. I know we are all eagerly awaiting the announcement or for it to be publicly released um, because it's going to be a welcome to relief for non-immigrants needing travel and needing a visa stamp. Well, everybody listening is probably thinking about the holidays, and I know that members of Congress are leaving Washington if they're not already gone. Why? Because there won't be a government shutdown in November, Lauren. There was a uh, continuing resolution that happened. It actually happened, but it has some real impact on immigration processing funding, and that's important news, too. Definitely. For several weeks, you know, EIG, we've been following and closely reporting the budget negotiations ahead of what would have been a federal government shutdown. However, Pre President Biden did sign a stopgap budget, which essentially extended funding at the current spending levels until January 19th, and then the rest of the government until February 2nd. So funding for all immigration processing is included in that latter group, so extended until February 2nd. And essentially, this was to give lawmakers more time to negotiate the parameters of immigration funding. But as we've covered in LinkedIn Lives and in our news alerts, which can be found on the Ericsson Immigration website or the Ericsson Immigration's LinkedIn page, we go into depth regarding the impact of a government shutdown on immigration. And for now, we all have that deep sigh of relief uh, and that we have until February 2nd, whereby we hope that we get a further approval um, or another stopgap measure. Adam, that was definitely a lot of news that we needed to have covered. Thank you so much for joining me in our news update. Thanks, Lauren. Now for a conversation about the projected trillions of dollars in economic growth being missed out on because of the backlog in the US green card system. Andrew Craburn is an immigration reporter at Bloomberg Law and joins us now from Washington, DC. Andrew, welcome to the Immigration Nerds podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Now, Andrew, you cover all things immigration and you wrote a terrific piece on this new report. What should our listeners know about the scope of the green card backlog? This recent report from the Bipartisan Policy Center on the ongoing costs of the green card backlog was a 
perfect illustration of how the challenges of the immigration system do affect the labor market and the larger economy. What the authors of this report from early November found was that if we cleared the current backlog, which is 7.6 million individuals currently waiting for lawful permanent residency, if we cleared that backlog right now, then over the next 10 years, we'd be looking at adding $3.9 trillion in economic gains to the U.S. economy. So I, I think that's a good illustration of the potential benefit of new immigration, but also how the current challenges in the immigration system are creating a drag on the economy. And certainly, I think the dollar signs alone merit a double take. I imagine your readers, if they're anything like me, they shared this article, they dug into the report. But to kind of outline it a little bit more, where would the economic benefit be coming from exactly? Yeah, so I think, first of all, it's worth sort of breaking down the different pieces of the backlog. There's sort of multiple backlogs, in a sense. As this report from BBC mentions, there's 5.9 million people in family-based green card backlogs and another uh, 1.8 million people in employment-based backlogs. But the folks in that in that family-based category, they're really waiting to enter the U.S. They're stuck outside of the country hoping to come here right now. So the report finds that the vast majority, something like 99% of the gains would be driven by new arrivals, new entrants to the U.S. who would be potentially taking jobs here. And I guess you could say offering a solution to the labor shortages in, in the U.S. that have been covered so extensively by Bloomberg and other publications for the last several years. Yeah, that's definitely our most recent episode, how to look at the immigration solution to an aging population and the labor needs. I think, as you just pointed out, the distinction within this report is looking at obviously family-based versus employment-based, but largely attributing that the economic impact is coming from new entrants into the United States who are largely family-based green card holders. And I guess to maybe put you on a spot here, arguably would not have the same level of productivity or a productivity impact as those who are adjusting from an employment-based green card, simply because their green card is not employment-sponsored. They're not here for a job itself. Mm -hmm. Do you think from your position as a reporter within this sphere, having looked through the report, that this analysis may be inflated? the estimation of the impact of new entrants? Mm. I can't say I've run those numbers by a lot of economists necessarily, but I can't say that the labor shortage issue is sort of a constant theme in really all, all of our coverage of the green card issue itself. Earlier this year, I wrote a story about we basically exhausted the category of green cards used by foreign nurses to, to come to the U.S. So hospitals, healthcare providers who were trying to fill gaps in their healthcare workforce could no longer for the rest of the fiscal year add new nurses from abroad. We've covered issues, whether you're looking at demand from, from seasonal employers, whether you're looking at issues involving uh, ch child labor violations. Um, I, I think a, a lot of these stories to various extents and, and some more directly than than others illustrate that employers really struggling to 
find the workers they need, no matter the industry you're talking about. And and as as you mentioned, like we're talking in that family based backlog about folks who aren't being sponsored by an employer directly, but. I think we could reasonably assume that a lot of these folks, when they come to the U.S., are going to be interested in finding work, finding a, a job, and that in itself is um, going to fuel the economy. But then there's the other element here of um, folks already in the U.S. hoping to adjust status on temporary H-1B visas. That's a much smaller part of the gains projected here. But I think there's been plenty of studies that have found there are real benefits to lifting employment restrictions on those folks when they're able to secure a green card. And definitely. I think this report doesn't necessarily dive into the economic cost of the loss of those individuals. Something that I'm sure you're aware of just from your approach with Bloomberg Law is that other countries outside of the US, for example, Canada, Australia, have made immigration policy changes to facilitate an easier pathway to citizenship uh, through permanent residency. And so I think one of the areas that maybe of a future article for you or, or maybe something you can comment on is whether or not we're undervaluing the impact of facilitating employment-based adjustment because of the U.S.'s ability to attract and then retain individuals in that employment-based stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the the authors of of this report they did say that the projections on the benefits of adjusting status for folks already here on visa categories like H one Bs that those benefits may be somewhat conservative. But you're right when you highlight competition from countries like Canada, Australia, etc. That's a real concern for. U.S. employers, but also even beyond that explicit competition, we've covered stories involving employers looking to offshore workers for various reasons. Maybe they're working on an on a category like optional practical training. They're, they're not even able to secure that H-1B visa. So the company basically parks them in an office. We're talking about larger um, multinational employers for the most part parks them in an office, you know, across the border in a country like Canada or even even places like Mexico. But for workers themselves, I think there are real concerns stemming from these backlogs, such as, you know, how how are your how are your family members affected? On the human side, the emotional impact of being these backlogs, but you have 200,000 dependent visa holders in the US. They're often referred to as documented dreamers who are actually at risk of aging out of legal status in the U.S. because their parents on temporary visas aren't able to adjust status. And that really hits home on the human costs, which I think are equally as staggering as the financial or the the economic argument that we've kind of outlined. There is one particular line in the report that stood out to me where it states that even if approved, many still wait decades before they receive their green card due to the annual green card limits set in law. So hundreds of thousands of people will likely die before they can receive their green card for which they have already been approved. Andrew, do you have a sense that the human cost involved here are appreciated as much as the economic ones? I think maybe not by a, a lot of the broader readership, but 
when we published this story on the report, that was part of the response that we heard that these numbers are, are, are really staggering in terms of the economic projections and the gains being left on the table. But also there, there really is a big human impact here when you talk about folks waiting decades for the chance for a, a green card and just sort of living in this literally temporary status even though they're able to continually renew it. I think we saw the impact of that pretty clearly in the last year, beginning around this time. We saw a lot of rolling layoffs in the tech industry among some of the the largest uh, Silicon Valley employers. And many of the workers affected were on H-1B visas. You know, some of them have been here for five years more. They may have bought a house in the U.S. and a lot of friends, established relationships were part of their community, just, just even beyond the job and, and professional aspect. And then suddenly they they find that, you know, they've they've only got a matter of months to find a new employment-based sponsor for their their temporary visa, and um and and that's that's a result in 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 many cases of of folks who are not able to get a green card because of the backlogs. Definitely, we we saw those direct impacts at Ericsson Immigration Group. Uh, based on the layoffs that had happened. And I guess the flip side of that is some of the rewarding times for myself is, you know, you followed an individual from their studies to getting cap to getting them an H-1B and then following them through years where they've had children, their children have grown up and then seeing them get a green card. Uh, that that wait time really is in, like I said, years, potentially into decades um, and something that I can definitely follow on, on my day-to-day basis. Andrew, I know you mentioned from the the response from readership and and understanding that you've been reporting within this sphere. What are some of the avenues that you've discussed or you hear policymakers currently considering to possibly solve this green card backlog? We referenced in our coverage of the report that there was actually a, a proposal from members of Congress wanted to see the Biden administration allow any immigrant with an approved visa petition to file to adjust status at the beginning of the fiscal year, as opposed to right now, only a certain number are able to do so each month. That would allow them to get some additional um, employment flexibility travel flexibility that didn't ultimately happen. The ideas, the the proposals we've seen um, for, for actual legislation on the Hill typically haven't gone as far as offering to lift the caps. There have been multiple proposals in in recent years, um, which which we've covered to recapture unused green cards from from previous fiscal years or to carve out some exemptions to the caps for workers from certain categories with um, STEM PhDs, for example. And I think it also leads into the question where, you know, if we're proposing changes to address, as we've identified, a cap-based backlog, does this simply mean that we're ultimately going to be pushing people into a processing backlog? Right. And the report gets into that a bit as well. Different pieces of the backlog. You've got a backlog for family-based green cards, a backlog for employment-based green cards. But then part of those backlogs are driven by annual caps. According to the report, it's about 
4.7 million of the individuals currently waiting for lawful permanent residency. And then another 2.9 million currently waiting because of processing backlogs and you know, I, I think this podcast has probably discussed listeners are aware that there's only 140,000 visas available in a in a typical year in that employment based category, and then another uh, 226,000 in the family based category, and then if you're green card hopeful um, from a country like. India or China that's got a especially high demand for visas, you're also looking at this issue of the the per country caps, which means that you've got an even longer wait time, decades, like you mentioned earlier, versus folks from, from other countries. And so I guess switching gears a little bit, Andrew, as a reporter, how do you find your role in being a voice that emphasizes the vital importance of policy change to deal with green card backlogs or or deal with the labor shortage through immigration policy? I don't see my role as advocating or justifying any particular policy solutions or changes. We certainly try to illustrate what's being put on the table. But what I really strive to do is, you know, highlight the cost of dysfunction of the system. I mean, when you, when you talk about the caps, th- th- this is just how the system was was set up to work. And when it hasn't been updated in, in so many years, you see the, the wait time grow and grow. And what we really try to do is talk to employers, talk to workers on temporary visas who are affected by these issues and how it affects them. And I think doing that, we also show often what it means for the overall economy. You know, when, when you talk about healthcare, for instance, if, if you can't bring in enough workers to fill the uh, labor shortages you're facing, that has real impacts, real, real costs for, um, for patients and hospitals. But, you know, we do try to get across both that economic impact, but then illustrate like this is what it means from that individual worker's perspective when we can. I, I 100% agree. I think that you as well as Bloomberg Law, anyone really that's having these conversations, engaging in the dialogue, allows for a conversation or, you know, impact, a wide impact that highlights the human and economic costs that's both to foreign and native born populations within the U.S. So Andrew Craburn, immigration reporter at Bloomberg Law, thank you for joining us on the Immigration Nerds podcast. You have definitely proven yourself to be a certified immigration nerd, and we hope to welcome you back again soon. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was a great conversation. And a great conversation for all you nerds out there listening. You can find a link to follow Bloomberg's Law Andrew Craybone in our show notes, and you can track everything going on at Ericsson Immigration Group at our website eiglaw.com. And remember, if you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe and share and meet us right back here for another new episode of Immigration Nerds.